Hello, and welcome to Resident Advisors Exchange, a series of conversations with the artists, labels, and promoters shaping the electronic music landscape. My name is Matthew McDermott, and I'm a staff writer at Resident Advisor. Sunset Sound System and its annual campout, which is situated in Northern California's Belden Town, has always been about putting bleeding-edge dance music in dramatic outdoor settings. What started out as a labor of love with Galen Abbott, Solor Langevin, and other key team members like Jaybird pushing massive speakers into public parks has organically developed into a full-fledged community. Sunset's summer series of outdoor gatherings, boat parties, and the campout draw thousands of longtime devotees, as well as converts from afar like Dixon, who loved his first sunset experience so much that he makes an annual pilgrimage. Solar and Galen now look after their own budding DJ and production careers. San Francisco has gone from a dance music mecca to a booming tech town, and Sunset's core crowd has gotten older and maybe a little wiser. But the core concept, dance music outside amidst California's natural beauty, has not changed. I sat down with Abbott and Langevin at the RS94109 record shop in San Francisco's Tenderloin to discuss Sunset Sound System's long, strange trip. Exchange. I am here with Sunset Sound System, the founder, Galen Abbott, as well as Solar Langevin. They've been working together as Sunset Sound System for 25 years, with Solar coming on shortly after inception. We are here at RS94109 in the Tenderloin in San Francisco. Thanks so much for being here, guys. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thank you. Great to be here. So, Galen, it's the 25th anniversary, you've planned a lot of events starting in April and moving on through the summer. This is one of Sunset's busiest summers yet. Would, 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 would you say that's the case? I would say it's, yeah, definitely the case. Uh, we're running a full schedule of events. Um, we, we tend to run kind of seasonally. I think that's part of giving us some longevity. And yeah, starting from our season opener, which is uh, an ode to our park, our free park parties that how we started, um, all the way to the Halloween boat party in October. So basically, from from April to to the end of October. And and we're kind of in the thick of it right now, right? Oh, like, we're in the thick of it right yeah. now. So oh, yeah. so explain like what's your day to day like now? Day to day right now, since we have. Uh, the 10 year anniversary of Sunset Campout next week is basically fielding lots of text messages, phone calls, and living in spreadsheets and, and emails. And just uh, working with our amazing team to make sure the event goes off smoothly and, and we have another magical year up in, in Belden Town. What's new about this year? Like, what do you, 
what can uh, attendees of Sunset Campout expect this year, um, you know, to celebrate the 25-year anniversary? Or are there any innovations that you're bringing on? Well, like everything we've done, we've always built up. Um, we always start have started modestly and organically uh, and let it grow. Every year we learn a little bit more from, from the previous year. And I'd say this year the, the art offerings and the interactive pieces around the, the festival site is definitely going to be at a level that we've never seen before. Um, we've also invited a lot of our musical inspirations and people we, we love to hear play from around the world to, to come play with us this year, um, probably more so than other years. And a lot of our family. Um, maybe some people that took a year off or two, uh, you know, a lot of people are coming back for this year to, to help celebrate um, our anniversaries. When you're talking about the family, are there a lot of people who have been there since, since day one, since like the original Marina parties? Yes, for sure. I mean, it's been a, a cultivated family um, community, I guess you could say, for a long time. And it's just the nature of, of how Solar and I operate from just like a really down-to-earth perspective. And it, it's kind of cultivated this, this community and family. Um, some people have been with us maybe consistently as long as we've been doing it. Some have maybe dipped out for a few years, maybe had a family and have come back. And there's been new generations of people that have that have come and and to see the the different generations meld together and everyone have a great time cohesively is part of what makes you know sunset special. Um, I'm going to read a quote from Mike B of Vinyl Dreams um, that was actually printed in a piece about San Francisco that ran in Resident Advisor. He said, "I think that this town was set up to be into it." from the jump even with the 60s psychedelic rock people were dancing to that music they're in the park twisting and doing weird gyrations and throwing shapes which is why the rave was so big here i went to the third sunset party at the berkeley marina there were 2000 people there on the side of the hill with the city in the background and the bridges and you know it was just a raging party solar do you feel like there's like a tie in between like the original psychedelic culture of the 60s and like what was happening in the 90s here in San Francisco? Well, for sure. I mean, there's such a rich history here in San Francisco with the whole kind of 60s scene and the counterculture scene that was happening. And um, I feel like when the kind of the raves kind of started, you know, taking off here, like the wicked guys and some people came up from England and they had kind of been shut down from the Criminal Justice Act and all that stuff. And they were coming from a psychedelic scene too. Um, one of the main guys, Alan, who was kind of the co-founder with them, he was super into like the whole psychedelic scene and the beat scene and stuff like that. And so he was not only coming over here from a music perspective, but also to kind of tap into that old culture. And yeah, and then the whole kind of like gay club scene and all that was combined to kind of fuel the whole racing, I guess. Yeah, it's kind of like a, a Molotov cocktail of yeah. sorts that <laughs> exactly. like really starts to go crazy in the early 90s, basically, would yeah. you say? I, I feel like there was a lot of that psychedelic raw energy left over in the city. It still wasn't ridiculously expensive to live here. And the the electronic music, house music scene that was 
burgeoning um, at that time really took hold of that kind of wild spirit and uh, and it was exciting and fun and raw and avant-garde to just to to do these renegade parties that you know wicked was doing and and we started doing um, kind of in our own way so can you sort of describe the geography of San Francisco to you know people who haven't visited before and what makes San Francisco specifically like perfect for an outdoor party? Well, I mean, it's scenically beautiful when you have, you know, you have San Francisco basically at the edge of a peninsula um, and on either side, except for the ocean side, but on the bay side, you have bridges coming off of it. Um, you have Mount Tamalpais um, just over the Golden Gate Bridge and with, and then you have the fog. So you have <clears throat> the cold ocean with the hot valley creating this fog that comes in and, and comes over the hills and part of the inspiration of sunset was was being out in berkeley looking west towards the golden gate bridge towards san francisco and you know with us growing up here growing up in marin county where it is there's a lot of designated open space and just there's there's a lot of 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 natural beauty in this area and to combine um, dancing and, and, and this new house music, acid house music outside and, you know, during this time of this transformative time or leading up to this transformative time of the day, um, just created something totally magical. Um, you, you could, we'd be, you know, as Mike said, you know, pe people, we'd be in this Berkeley Marina spot where everyone would go to the top of the hill um, the sound system area would be a little bit at the bottom and you could just look out across the entire bay. And as soon as the sun would set, everyone would start cheering and run down the hill. And at that time, we would continue into the night. And so was, there was something really awesome about the whole day, the day building, building, building to this sunset. And then we would keep going like an hour or two into the night. And so it was such a such a cool feeling to to dance through that and it was always sunday so it was like the culmination of a whole weekend of people being out and about you know telling about their adventures they found this underground party or they went to this warehouse party or this big rave party and they could come out to our which was a free party just come out and just close out the weekend with friends and and maybe they didn't see their friends because people went to different events but everyone ended up at sunset and um, and it was so relaxed and there was no expectation and we, and we were just out there wanting to just play music and, and be in some place and do it in some place beautiful and amazing. And that was sort of the initial motive to do it, just to play music and, and bring it outside. And to clarify for our listeners, were these initial parties, you initially started under the name Pacific Sound System. And were these initial parties licensed at all? So uh, originally, the, it was the Pacific Sound System that did the Sunset Party. And I also, at the time, had started a weekly at the Cat Club called Pacific that was like a Wednesday night weekly. Um, me, I was pretty, I was very young and naive, and working with club owners was something that was really new to me. And I just was kind of overwhelmed by that. And it was hard for me to integrate you know, building up this weekly. Um, and I eventually just dropped that and just wanted to focus on, on doing the sunset. And, um, over the years, 
uh, we were going to be the Pacific Sound System that did the Sunset Party. We even did our own version of an all-night party called Sunrise, which was also a renegade outdoor party. And we had all kinds of offshoots with different friends. And over time, it started getting confusing. People would call us Sunset. People would call us Pacific, Pacific Sound. And we just made a decision, like, like we're a sound system. We're most known for Sunset. We're, we're Sunset Sound System. So that's kind of the evolution of the name. Yeah. And But you guys started with basically showing up with a generator, a sound system that you had purchased for these parties, and we're basically throwing renegade parties outside, correct? Essentially, yeah. It started out as a renegade party. Um, the first one I did was with borrowed gear. I had the idea for the party, and I was able to get a generator from someone, borrow a sound system. I brought my whole home you know, mixing setup as the DJ booth, and that was great for the first one. Then I wanted to do another one and people were like, well, I don't know, you know, maybe give me some money or it just got a lot more challenging to like do it again. And I just, I, you know, I wasn't very money wise then and I was really wanted to do this. So I just got some credit cards and just maxed them out and bought a sound system. And, and in that time had, had met Solar and met some of some other friends, uh, Jaybird and our friend Lorian, who were part of it. And everyone kind of had this piece. You know, Solar had a truck, and um, I believe Jaybird had had a generator, and Lorian was really into sound and sound tech teching. And we all kind of organically came together and fit this piece of, a, of the puzzle. And, and also Solar was, was DJing at the time too, um, and we, we had met at a, at a house party. And... Um, you know, that was kind of an instant connection of, of I wanted him to come out and play. And within within a few months, I'm like, we're, we're just all in this together. So. Also, we had Bradson, too, who was doing all of That's our right. flyer work, which was kind of very... Yeah, my roommate wave. that I had met, um, <clears throat> he did these really cool little line drawings. And he just started making our flyers. They were just just on you know, copied paper, just very simple, but very ornate with his, his line art. And it became like the, the signature look of, of what we were doing. Sunset has gone on to be so influential in terms of, you know, the California dance music camp out, but these initial outdoor parties were also a product of their environment and what was going on here in San Francisco and solar can you talk a little bit about the Wicked crew and their influence on you, how they sort of harnessed punk rock energy into DJing and just an attitude in general? Yeah, I mean, for me, I mean, I've said it so many times, but those guys were huge inspiration. Like, I kind of was coming out of, like, the kind of hardcore punk scene that was happening here and starting to go out to clubs a little bit. But, yeah, clubs were just kind of... a some of the music was cool, but I wasn't into a lot of it. It was just kind of more a place to hang out and do stuff. And then somehow I got a flyer. Somebody told me about a full moon party, and we kind of made our way down there. And and just to see these guys show up, they all were like, you know, in jean jackets, long hair, and just kind of brought a sound system. I feel like it was in Golden Gate Park, but I've kind of like researched the history. I don't know if they ever did one in Golden Gate Park, but in my memory, it's, it's in Golden Gate Park. And them showing up in a van and just kind of kicking up the doors and throwing out the sound system and just setting up real quick and just like and then playing acid house and 
that I heard that music and it just had so much of that energy of, I first I was like, what the hell is this sound? I was like staring at the records, thinking that they were creating the 303 sound by moving the records in some way. I was just completely oblivious and, and awestruck. And uh, yeah, I was kind of blown away. And just between like the whole attitude, the DIY attitude that they had and kind of not giving a fuck and just like setting up wherever they wanted to and taking that chance. Um, and then, yeah, and then hearing that music was just kind of opened my eyes to something totally new that I'd never seen before or experienced. But yeah, it had some kind of element of that DIY kind of punk attitude in it. And yeah, I was kind of hooked from there. And Galen, <clears throat> you kind of came more from like an ambient and new age background prior to beginning to DJ and get heavy into dance music? Well, yeah, I came from... I came from kind of an athletic background. I was, I was a swimmer. Right? I was swimming. I was training, you know, training for the Olympics. Um, and I started after high school, just realizing this was not for me. And it was a friend that got me out, um, right before I was about to, to train for my second year of, of school down at university of Arizona in the PAC 10 and, um, discovered, the, these events he took me out to a, to an underground and my eyes were just blown wide open. I think I was, I was, I was, I wanted more and I was, I was searching for more, but this had been my life. Um, my dad listened to a lot of new age and electronic -y new age type music. I, in high school, I was listening to some acid house and I didn't even know that I was, I, I was just kind of drawn to 808 state and was listening to, to 808 State albums in high school. And I feel like that, I, I've looked back on what laid the foundation for me to be so drawn into electronic music. And I think even bands that had electronic elements to them, whether it had been something like, you know, Rush or, or Yes or Depeche Mode, I really was drawn to the, the electronic elements of those that they had in those, in those bands. It happened very quickly for me. Once I discovered this scene and this music, um, I had left University, University of Arizona within a few months and was home and was out now every, every weekend. And um, within a month of, of that, I kind of took all that swimming drive and was just like, I want to do this. And I just went full, kind of full, dove in head first um, into the whole house music, electronic music scene and just... Um, yeah, lived it, breathed it. And at the time in San Francisco, like San Francisco is, is sort of a mecca at the time for this music. Like there are 10 dance music record stores in the city at some point. Like you have like amazing records like coming out on Wicked and Greyhound and, and like there's just this insane energy in the city. And Sunset goes from being an outdoor party that 50 friends are at to a thousand people relatively quickly. Is that correct? Yeah. I mean, it, we started out, I mean, aside from the first one that had its own energy, when, when we all came together, Solar, myself and Jaybird and Lorian and, and Bradson, we, the, 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 the second one I should say was like 10 people. And, and we just, and then we were doing it every week, just bring that sound system out every week. The next one would be 20. And yeah, by, by the end of the summer, and I remember we hit these barometers. We were like, oh my, oh my God, there's 500 people here. What is going on? And then the next week there'd be 600 people. And then, 
And it just kind of grew through word of mouth. There's no social media. We had these little tiny little, you know, hand cut little flyers, one side little drawn flyers that we kind of give out when we'd be at parties like, oh, come, you know, come hang out with us on Sunday. And then I remember by like September of that first year, it's like a thousand people. And now the wicked guys who we drew so much information from are like, hey, we want to play. And we're like, what? Okay. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it grew, it grew through that first year, grew quite, um, quite organically, but I guess, yeah, within a year, very, very quickly. Like I said before, it just came from, from wanting to just play music, just wanting to, to play music outside with our friends, and it just, just blossomed. And did the Wicked crew, which includes the likes of Garth and Yano and Thomas Bullock, did... Did they actually mentor you? Did they help you get started? They didn't mentor us. Um, I mean, obviously, they were doing sound system parties. And that idea of doing a sound system party came from what they were doing. Everything we've done, for the most part, you know, for Sunset has been geared daytime, um, day into night rather than night into day. And um, that was our, I mean, I didn't think of it as a twist, but that was our twist of, of a sound system party. We weren't, I wouldn't say we were really, or I wasn't at least very close with, with them at that time. Um, there's, this is something that's grown over time, like a mutual respect. And um, we're now good, really good friends with, with most of the guys, um, especially Yena and, and Garth that are still really active here in California, in San Francisco. And I think the fact that we've kept this torch going I believe we're sort of the only crew from the 90s that has never stopped doing events. I mean, they still do an annual event, but they had a few years where they, they took off. And uh, and, and now they, we, we continue to inspire each other. I'm happy to see them still doing it. They have their, they relaunched their label and it's inspiring to see, to see it keep going. I, I wasn't sure how long you could keep doing this. And and to see it become part of your life is, um, it feels good. You know, it feels like you're, you're, you're on, a, on the right path. So Solar, what, what were you playing at the initial sunset parties? Uh, I don't know, I mean, so long ago, but I mean, kind of everything. I remember I would like start with like a Dead Can Dance record if I was playing first, which I was playing probably first, first few ones, I would say at least. And yeah, then we kind of go with, I mean, obviously a lot of Acid House, because that was, you know, my whole main influence, uh, kind of some proto-trance and some kind of sine wave techno stuff. I can't think of any particular records, like the actual name of it, but somewhere in that kind of realm. Yeah, and that's, and that's how all our Sunset parties started. I mean, we didn't just go out there and just start banging it. I mean, we, we all had broad musical um, influences and we started every party mellow you know and whatever whatever genre that was and when we brought different people in to play with us or if it was we would alternate like doing the early slot it was nice we got to play music that you didn't normally get to play out and it would build through the day and and that was also the nice part about it just like this slow build to as it got later in the towards sunset the music energy would just get more and more crazy and intense until at night we could start playing the wilder records i, I was looking at a photo of 
one of the early sunset parties and I saw like the dual cassette deck. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, people people might, might not know this, but like there are a lot of legendary rave tapes from San Francisco, like Garth, Spun, you guys. Can you, can you sort of like talk about the culture of taping and were you guys obsessively documenting from the beginning? Actually, we, we did. And um, we, we recorded everything on like my, my little home audio cassette uh, recorder. I had a dual cassette recorder and I just bring it out and record the sets on, on audio tape. We just kept doing that. And then when DAT tapes came out, then we switched to DAT tapes. And, and Bradson at the time, who made our flyers, was really into video. So we had like a little hi eight video recorder and he would video the early parties and eventually over years we I ended up with boxes of tapes and and nothing really got organized it just turned into this mountain of of content and one of the projects we've been working on is actually getting this content organized and getting it digitized and getting it so that it can actually be shared now so um, one thing that we're going to be doing is is launching a, a sunset podcast which is going to feature like old old classic sets and um and and stuff that we're doing currently and hopefully like some of our guests that have played you know people like like Idget boys and doc martin and, and people like that that were playing with us in the early 90s or mid 90s um you know, we could release some of these, some of these sets. Um, Garth actually had just found his, he had the recording of his first sunset set. So I was like, Hey, let's get that on the podcast. Um, and it'd be, I think it's gonna be fun to, to, to kind of share this, this music and what was going on then and the different BPMs that were happening at the different times. And yeah, so that's, and, and a lot of the video content too, we're trying to get it organized so we can share it and just, it does no good just sitting in on a tape in a box and in a shelf. Like why not share it and relive some of the days or yeah, it's fun for some nostalgia, I guess. I mean, it's an education as well True. for people who weren't there and like solar, what were some of your most memorable sets that you caught in the early days? For me, my, I mean, back then my most memorable memories are actually of the cassettes that I was buying. So like Yena's Inside the Mine was a huge game changer for me. It was very kind of super psychedelic, lots of kind of UK acid and some a lot of Detroit kind of stuff, but just super heady mix. So I heard that and then I was kind of always searching, following him to always hear that mix live somehow, you know, and he'd incorporate elements of that. And But yeah, because back then, that's the only way you could hear a DJ mix was through a cassette. There was no, you know, internet or anything like that. Or there, inter there was internet, but it was just in the very, very early stages. You couldn't, you know, stream a DJ set or there was no boiler room or anything like that. So it was just like tapes that were made and passed out. Or we had this another store called Amoeba, which wasn't the record store. It was kind of like a head shop where they sold like anarchist kind of t-shirts and, and a bunch of tapes. That's where we would go and buy their tapes or this guy, Miles, who would go to the parties and actually sell all the tapes. And, yeah. yeah, that was part of the fun you want. You, like before a weekend, you'd be like, oh, I gotta get some new tapes. And so you'd go to, the, go to Amoeba or Housewares, which were the shops catering towards the sort of underground electronic music rave community. Or yeah, go find Miles at a party because he always had the coolest like tapes from people you wanted to hear. And, and then, 
at that time, it was like, okay, you left the party, and I would just listen, just listen to those tapes all week long, nonstop, until you get more. <laughs> and okay, so how long are you at the Berkeley Marina location? So we were there for for several years. Um, by the end of that first year, um, you know, we, we made friends with either the beat cop or the ranger that was out there a lot of times with us sometimes they'd be like what are you guys doing what's happening here and then they would see how respectful we were we always cleaned up the parks cleaner than than we found it um that was one of our main ethos for for continuing these events and how we would go into to different cities and be like look we we want to help clean up the park we just want to have you know a little barbecue picnic gathering with some music and um and everything will be fine and so it, it got to a point where we got so big that that didn't work anymore and we i would have to go to the cities and get a permit and back then i'd go into the city hall it'd be like a one-page thing it would be relatively cheap no problem we you know at times we get people getting a little too crazy and it caused problems for us and we had discovered um we would go on missions looking for locations where we could do our sunset parties. I mean, we also did them in Santa Cruz on the beach. We did them in different places in the East Bay that were kind of more renegade that we thought we could get away with it. Tried to research like what was, what jurisdictions were we in to see if we could, could do this. We, and so we found this, this Point Malate space, which is in Richmond, right underneath the Richmond San Rafael Bridge which was another bridge. And that also wasn't as nice of a park as Berkeley Marina, but had its own kind of magic. And it was right on, right on the water. And it was a little bit of a rundown park. And so we just started setting up there. And some Richmond police came by and were like, what are you doing? And they really liked our vibe. And they were, at the time, Richmond was a really violent place. And often they'd be coming out there, seeing us after they just dealt with some sort of shooting or something. And they actually enjoyed enjoyed what we were doing and they they really helped us. And so we almost had an, an arrangement with them. Um, there was a few years where we were kind of, we knew we had to give a location a little break. So we would do one week, we'd go to Point Malate and then, and then we'd go back to Berkeley Marina and try and not oversaturate a location. So as, as the years went on, more crews started popping up and p- more people wanting to do renegade type parties. And they didn't always have the same respect and ethos we did. But what happened was the, the cities didn't really understand that would be, sometimes you're different. They'd be like, oh, well, your friends were just here yesterday and they made a mess. And we're like, who? <laughs> I, they're not our friends. We're like, oh, well, they, you know, they set up the same thing as you were. And I'm like, no, it's not quite the same. But it was, you know, so new back then. The cities were still just trying to get a grapple of like, what is this? What is this, this culture? And so then it started getting kind of a negative uh, connotation as it, it started spreading around the country. And um, so it, things just started getting more challenging. And at one point, Berkeley Marina basically just stopped. They made like a city ordinance where no more sound systems could be out there no matter what. And that's when we fully went to, to Point Malate and that kind of became our home through the rest of the 90s, basically. Which one of you dealt with the cops? <laughs> Leon was usually the best one of the <laughs> I, I had the most innocent look, I think. So, so I'd go over there and be like, hmm, what's, what's the problem? What? 
Um, it didn't always work. Um, sometimes they didn't care what I said. And, and we've had our fair share of, of being busted because, I mean, we would take risks. We'd take chances. Um, we tried to get permits when we could, but sometimes we're like, let's just give it a shot. Yeah, I spent, I spent a, a fair amount of time speaking with police. And, and I just, I don't know how I did it because I didn't want to do it, but I just went in there and was like, I got to do this. And we try and just talk to them. And most of the time, once people got to, at first it'd be like, what is going on here? And then once they got to know us or they were cool with us and they saw that Pete, like our crowd was really fun loving, like just chill, um, really broad range of people. We would get, you know, as the nineties went on, you, the, the musical styles in San Francisco started defining more and there would be more of, um, you know, a techno crew and there'd be more of a, the house scene or there'd be the, the dress up house scene and the underground house scene and talking to, to the authorities. Um, it just, it became, as soon as I'd see him show up, I would just go over there and just kind of deal with it head on. And, and yeah, once that's what I was saying, once they would see who we who we were, that everyone looked very non-confrontational, people just having a nice time, people being very chill, even though we, they were dancing and we have loud music. Um, a lot of times they were really cool with us. Sometimes, depending on who you got, they would just see party, not supposed to be here, I don't care what you say. But we've, I've, I was always persistent. Um, if we got shut down, I would go to the city to see how could we do it there more legally or how could we get permission? What could we do? I mean, we've even had some rangers say, well, look, you guys seem cool, but I can't allow this. But what I can do is I'm going to write you a ticket for having a generator on the beach. And that's going to cover, cover me. And you guys just clean up after yourself. You'll be fine. And so we, we'd get stuff like that where, where we could work with some of the, the authorities. Uh, these days, it's changed quite a bit. I think uh, liability, the the... In this country, people being afraid of being sued and and in different, just it's escalated. I thought I thought it was bad in the '90s, but it's 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 at a point now where, you know, our country has a has a system of people not really taking responsibility for what they do, and they always want to blame someone else. And it's and the the lawyer scene anyway. It's it's made it very hard to do a renegade type of an event now, and even to go through the proper channels, the permit process is so involved and costs so much more money i'm appreciative that we're still able to do what we do even 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 with the limited amount of of outdoor parties we're able to do just by the sheer cost and effort uh the days of being able to set up a, a renegade and have more than a few hundred people is very challenging it's interesting. I, w I was once reading like a profile on this architecture firm called Doors, Ghost Video, and Renfro. And one of the people in the architecture firm is like really into these like avant-garde ideas. And another person, she said that part of her practice is she's like, I like to navigate the bureaucracy. Like that's part of the creative process to me. And it seems like from things that you said in the past, like, you're like a pragmatic person where you're like, okay, it's gotten way more difficult to permit this, but I'm just going to throw myself into it and figure it out. Would you, would you say that's accurate? Yes. I've, I, I keep thinking there's still a way to do it. And sometimes we've lost a location and, 
and couldn't think like, what are we going to do now? And just keep pushing forward. I mean, now we're in a location that's called Stafford Lake and we've been there for over 15 years or longer, maybe 18 years. And even that has gotten more and more challenging. There, there's new, new laws with the park. Uh, you know, a big movement in California is there's no smoking in public places. Well, when people are at a party, you naturally like to smoke. Um, when I go to Europe now a lot, I mean, it's very symbiotic with being at parties. People smoke, you're drinking, you're, um, you're having a good time. It's part of letting loose. And that can't happen anymore. There, people at our parties like to have a good time. They, they do drink, but people are very responsible. I, I, I am so kind of blown away after how long we've been doing this and how many parties we've had of how much people take care of each other and how few issues we've had. Um, I mean, we've never had a, like a, a full-blown fight or anything like that. I mean, you get some domestic disputes and thing, things like that, but it, uh, it's, it's been amazing. And we've, we've, we've actually blown away some of the authorities. They're like, I don't know how you guys do this. How do you have this many people here with no problems? How, how is there this much you know, alcohol here and, and yet people are taking care of themselves? And it's part of our community. It's part of, I think, the energy that Solar and I exude and, and Jaybird. I've always felt, I learned early on, that, that a party is a reflection of the people putting it on. And when someone is out on a purely commercial venture and they're going for the money, you kind of feel that in the event. I mean, it still could be a good good party, but it may not have the the enriched the richness or the depth of 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 where we were coming from, which was to have a good party, to have bring people together, play good music, have it be good quality, have it be fun, and of course we're a business now and we have to sustain ourselves. But that's never the top priority. It's the priority is making the event good and making it really soul satisfying for everyone that's coming. Yeah, I mean, you really took the words out of my mouth. I've I've always said that like a party reflects the people throwing it, like the type of person you are, what substances you're into, like whatever the case may be, like this this ends up being reflected in the crowd that assembles. But I wanted to run back let's talk about like some of the greatest hits because i heard this story about you finding a place that was sort of like private land in between sort of public land and and uh sort of working some magic with the police and sending a helicopter away from a party before yeah i think solar was telling the story um yeah this was one of those cases where I had researched uh, property. We were looking for locations. I was going through the entire East Bay because that's where you get the view of the sun setting and trying to find locations where we could set up. And through the East Bay, it's the, there's the East Bay Regional Parks, but I had found, noticed, or discovered that this one part of it was actually private property. Um, we had to carry the sound a really long way to get to that part of the park. It was I mean, I still have memories of us trying to push the sound on this on this gravel path with the wheels that weren't moving and trying to get it out there and just like exhausted to get the whole sound system out there. But then it was in this kind of tucked in, in this little mini valley, but you could still see out of the bay. But like if you were from afar, you couldn't really see what was going on. 
Well, we were out there for a few hours, and this was the—I think this is one of the ones where we had Doc. I think this is one of the Doc Martin Idiot Boys ones where they, that we had become friends with with Dan and Conrad, and and we invited them out to come play, and and uh, the East Bay Regional Park Police came out, and they had a no tolerance. I kind of knew that already, and they came in and they're like, "Shut it off," and I'm like, "No." What? <laughs> I'm like, um, and we, and I, and I knew we were in Richmond. We were in the city of Richmond, which um, we had made really good friends with these beat cops. That we just had this great relationship where we 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 respected the the Point Malate Park and um, and they appreciated how how well we took care of it. We respected their what we respected them, and they let us let us be. Um, and they would all come out and visit almost every Sunday we were there. So this time we were in a different location and I just told them, I kind of remember standing around all these police officers and they're telling me to turn it off. And I'm like, um, you can't tell us to turn it off. Like this isn't your, this isn't your park. And they were getting very flustered. And so they called in a helicopter to find out where the lines were. And I see the helicopter circles around and I hear him go, yeah, that's, yeah, they're on the other side of the bridge. This is, there's another part of like, oh, okay, we're, we're calling in Richmond PD. Like, yeah, this isn't going to last long. And we're like, okay, you know, so they call in Richmond PD and our, our guys come. And so they come, they come out, oh, what's the problem? Oh, you know, we're, sh- we're trying to shut these guys down and, you know, we'll, we're here to help you. Like we can assist and they're like, no, it's fine. We got it. And they're like, and they're like, no, no, we're here to help you do this. And they're like, no, we'll we'll take over from here. It's fine. You guys just you can go back go back to the park. And they're like, what? What? So the, he get, gets them all to leave. And they're like, how are you guys doing? And then they talk to me. And they're like, how are you guys doing out here? And they're like, yeah, we're having, we're having a good time. And they're like, all right, cool. Like, I see you got a lot of cars out there. We're gonna help you park them. <laughs> so they went out into the street and helped us manage traffic to get all the cars parked and. Yeah, I mean, I have to say that was a pretty, pretty awesome, magical experience to, to, uh, I, being very intimidated, but just kind of standing my ground and just being like, no, you can't do that. <laughs> and and for you, Solar, the uh, the Hale-Bopp comet lunar eclipse party at uh, Point Mulate is kind of seared into your memory, right? Yeah, I mean, that was a pretty just insane one. Just like, I don't know what was going on, but the energy of the people was pretty wild that time. Um, I don't know if it was the substances or or if it was just the comet or what, but yeah, it was a comet and a full moon eclipse going on at the same time on either side of the sky. So I imagine it was like the last one of the season, but looking back on the dates, when I just was doing an interview recently, it, was, it wasn't it was the last one of the season. Wait, was, it, was it like September or when? Yeah, I can't remember. So yeah, so memories from that long ago are always a little bit convoluted and distorted, but... I think it was our third year or something like that, third or yeah, fourth year. But it was super fun. We had yeah. like three turntables set up and everybody was getting pretty like experimental with the music they were playing and the crowd was up for it too, which kind of added to the whole thing and... I think there's, yeah, there's definitely recordings of it out there. So maybe those will surface. Yeah, we, yeah I think we do. Yeah, we, we, I think it was the first time we set up three decks. I think you dropped PFM. Was that the time you dropped the PFM? One and only yeah, I think drum it was and bass like, track had just come out. And that's right like that. when uh, I think we got a lot of shit from the drum and bass crew for playing <laughs> drum and bass at a techno house party. <laughs> 
Wait, so you you were mixing drum and bass into like psych rock? I think at it was more party? at the end, yeah. was it? Yeah, or? I think I was probably playing the last set, yeah. so that's where it was getting. Yeah, kind of like the last bit. Yeah, it's just kind of going off on tangents. I think it was just that energy. I, 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 we planned for it too. We knew this was going to happen, and I think we, we were like, yeah, let's set up three turntables. Let's and and it just it the whole thing just came together. It was like I do have memories of just how it was like a warm night too which sometimes you don't always get in the bay with the with the fog and it was uh yeah there's something something really special about that night there's something some cosmic energy going on for sure okay so you would start on is it like the spring equinox was when you would kick traditionally off the we'd always yeah. start on the spring equinox yeah. um with climate change now though we, we, we tried to, we had condensed our calendar in the last few years. We tried to go back to the original calendar, which was always starting on the spring equinox. And we've just been getting rained out like three years in a row. And so we just had to go back to pushing it to the late April because it's, we didn't, we didn't have a rain out for, I think it was like 18 years before the first time we ever had a rain out. And now we've had lots in these last several years. Really? Um, three years in a row we had three years in a row we had double rainouts so we would we would postpone it a few weeks and then get rained out again and so it would take like the third one so finally this year we're like look let's just i know we want to honor sort of the original like the spring equinox was the the you know when the first sunset party was in in 94 but for the sake of the party and and people coming um because that first one is now it has anywhere is anywhere from five to seven thousand people, so um, it throws off quite quite a lot of people. Um, when we have to rain out, people fly in for it. People that have moved away and they want to still experience sunset, so they want to come out for our season opener. And um, yeah, it's got it's it, and it throws us off too. It's it, we have to reset everything and financially, the, the to do this event is is you know tens of thousands of dollars actually to be able to do our outdoor parties now with the amount of permitting and and infrastructure that is required um and insurance from from the parks at the beginning you were a weekly it was kind of like this sunday there's a bar in san francisco called the end up but this is like an end up where everybody shows up on sunday after raving all weekend and you're just doing it on a weekly basis how long did you do it on on a weekly basis I think it was at least a couple years, maybe two to three years. We did it on a weekly basis and there would be, we started getting a little bit tired. I, we also started noticing people just taking it for granted. If we took a Sunday off, people just get mad at us and we're like, we're doing a free party. Um, we just need one Sunday to ourselves. And I, I remember we moved to, to every other week at one point and, and we did that for a little while. Then, and then I'm not sure how it started spacing out. I don't know if we went to monthly, um, but as we got older and we got started getting more interests and we wanted to feel special still. I, I think that was one of the main reasons for starting to make it less often was that it started, people just started like expecting it to happen. And, and we wanted to keep that, that, that feeling that it was something you know, unique and to be appreciated. And, and it takes a lot, takes a lot of energy and effort to be able to do this. So yeah. Hauling a sound system up a flight of stairs every Sunday after you've been out there all day is pretty tough work. Yeah. <laughs> and we've had times where we've hauled it 
to, to a location, to get it all set up, to then getting busted, to then tearing it down, moving it to another location to set it up and try. And I mean, we were relentless at the time. Yeah, we're also in our 20s. Too, yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the sound system lived on my third, third floor um, apartment on Haight Street, and we would carry it up and down the stairs every week. And um, I can't even imagine doing that now. No way. <laughs> you guys had huge shoulders. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so the Wicked guys ended up playing the party. Idjit seemed like a big part of Sunset's early history. When they would, come, they came to San Francisco often. So they, yeah, they would come play with us. Yeah. Yeah, like the DIY crew. Yeah, from them too. Nottingham. They were coming over pretty often. I mean, we, we when we started learning about them, we were really excited to have them come play because that was, you know, that's even pre-Wicked, you know, them doing these these renegade parties and, you know, Tonka Sound System in, in, in the UK. So we were drawing inspiration off them. I mean, we were DIY in a sense. So when they started coming over, we just, yeah, like, come on, come come play with us. Yeah. And who were some other guests in those, you know, let's say, since it's been such a storied history, let's say like the first like six years up to 2000 or so. I mean, in the early days, it was definitely mostly DJs that were either San Francisco DJs or that had moved and, you know, had become San Francisco DJs or whatever. Um, and then it would be kind of like friends of friends would come through town, like Kenny Hawks used to play um, quite a few times and Joshua is and Marky Quark and, yeah, obviously all the Wicked guys, the Harkis guys. Yeah. I mean, back in the early days of San, Rans of San Francisco rave scene, the scene was so, the, the talent pool and the music, like the country looked to San Francisco in a lot of ways as like, what is going on there? We want to emulate that. So for years, you know, the massives or the raves were all local DJs. It was, there was no one flown in, you know, that was, that started happening a little bit later when, promoters from other cities moved to San Francisco and started doing their parties and they were used to bringing people in. And then, you know, occasionally maybe a UK DJ would come, would come over and play some of these parties. But I mean, from what I remember, I mean, these were huge, th you know, thousands of people parties that were all done on the, the, the bigger local talent at that time. So for us, it was about getting those guys to come out and guys and girls to come play with, with us. Um, it, as time went on and the scene grew more out of out of San Francisco and you get started getting influences from all over, when people would come through town, they would often ask like, oh, we want to do this or they'd come play unannounced because they were here for another party or something like that. And we were we were fine. We knew we people started trusting there was going to be good music there and then just be excited that, you know, whoever just came and showed up um, after they had played some party on Friday night or Saturday night. Any Any memorable unannounced guests from from those years <laughs> i mean again i think my favorite guests were you know i mean the free party if you're talking about that it was you know it was mostly us and then there would be like one guest and there would always be like either one of the wicked guys or dj spun or dj tony some of like uh ethan that was doing the friends and family parties um it wasn't until we started like actually doing some paid parties where we could start booking DJs and bringing them in. Um, and when was that? I mean, we did some under, underground pay parties, warehouse parties, but we, we started the boat parties in, in uh, the fall of 95. And those also have, have still never stopped. Um, that was, I remember us kind of thinking, we knew that uh, 
Bulletproof was doing boat parties, but they were kind of a generation ahead of us. And we were like, well, what a better way to experience a sunset party than actually be on the bay and watch the sun go down. So that was obviously a pay party and we would book, and then we could book a more diverse crowd. The drum and bass scene was starting to kick off. So we could have like the upstairs could be drum and bass, or there was a big down tempo scene going on as well. We could have a lot of, of DJs that played just non house tempo stuff play with us there. And that's when we started uh, bringing in people maybe from the East Coast. I remember the Chocolate Factory guys came Onions and Joski and all, um, uh, I can't remember the other guys, but they all, um, Samir, I think, yeah, um, were would come out and, and play with us. That was in the mid-90s, I think. We'd bring in uh, the Hazy Days Collective out of, out of, out of Dallas. We, those guys would come and play with us a little bit. Um, they were also, you know, doing these ranch parties, these wild ranch parties out there. Yeah, West Coast. I'm trying to think who was down in San Diego, Miles Maeda, and maybe um, like Michael Manahan from Seattle and kind of a lot of the West Coast scene. They, they were always coming through San Francisco. So you guys are just like kind of chugging along through, you know, your first decade of doing sunset parties, doing boat parties. And was there ever like a dip that you guys had to like, kind of like fight through? And obviously like you've had obstacles in terms of venues, scouting venues and stuff like that. But did the energy ever drop at any point? And like, how did you keep the persistence? I mean, I think one of the things is for a long time, there wasn't so many people doing stuff. Um, I feel like nowadays the scene's gotten pretty saturated and um, even little niche kind of scenes, there's like 10 people doing parties. In San Francisco, if people haven't been here, it's a super small city. Whenever I tell people it's 800,000 people and the size of it, you know, it's seven miles from one end to the other, people are always a little bit shocked. They always imagine it to be a much bigger city and it's actually quite a small city. And yeah, so you have a lot of people doing parties now. And back then it was not so many. So I feel like it was, and we'd been going for so long. So our reputation just kept growing and growing and stuff like that. Um, so I think it was maybe a little bit easier. And I feel like it was just on a constant trajectory going up. Whereas it's become more saturated now, it's a little bit more difficult to kind of weave your way and make it special and unique. But we have the, you know, we do have the history, so that. Yeah, I, th I think, like what Solar said, we've, we've, it's always just been we've car we had carved out this kind of place for ourselves, and no matter what was going on, if we were doing a sunset party, we would get our our crowd. They would come, and the energy was, was, still very high, still communal. You see a lot of familiar faces really great energy at the parties. I mean, if it wasn't, we may not be here right now. Uh, if, if our friends had stopped coming or th they started getting weird, I, we might've shifted and done something else, but it just kept, just kept building or just kept going and just kept being, kept feeling like, well, was that just the most amazing party we ever had? Or, and that just kept going through the two thousands and we would chat, you know, we would evolve with what was going on then by yeah, bringing in different people, trying different events, working new venues. Um, you know, we, we partnered up with, with the Stompy guys and started doing this, this daytime party at Cafe Kokomo, which was this 
cool salsa venue that had this big outdoor area and it was one of the last places you could have like outdoor music at a venue and that ran for years and it was just it was like two parties in one with this amazing outdoor part portion and then the nighttime portion and so we kept finding new projects that would like reinfuse energy but i would say the most challenging time has been recently it's it 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 is it, it feels very saturated um, on on a lot of levels, and we've we've adapted, and you know I'm always learning, learning modern modern promotion techniques. I mean, we we relied on word of mouth for so long. I, I feel like that's what kept our crowd so so special was that we didn't bl- blanket promotions everywhere. We let friends tell friends, tell friends, tell friends. And we did our promotions. We get the word out. We give something that people could share. But it's it's definitely been um, in the last several years where we've we've had to really think about more about how we do things and when we're scheduling things. And and people want to be with us, but this the the demand for people's attention, whether it be through the immense amount of people doing parties. Um, we saw a lot of clubs in San Francisco go from being top 40 clubs to being, um, or being more mainstream clubs to just overnight shifting their programming and going for the so-called sort of underground house music sound or tech house sound. And now all these clubs are competing for the same market. It's created some, some new challenges and we're, we're adapting and always learning and, and still appreciative that we're, we're still having like amazing events. You mentioned bringing on new ventures, like to keep things fresh, keep things interesting. Um, we're coming up on the 10th Sunset Campout. It's happening next weekend in Belden Town. How did the idea for the campout come about? The, the, so the first iteration of the campout, I think, was 98. We were invited to, I think it was called Tribal Future. It was... Um, the store solar talked about amoeba that had all the tapes it was mark amoeba and alan who kind of ran that store decided to do a little camp out somewhere and it was kind of yeah also kind of raw um it might have been in 97 or something like that and that may have been the sort of the idea that that was like hmm, maybe we should, what about a sunset camp out and i think 98 we were invited to be a part of something that was happening in this really special piece of land in Willits, uh, about three hours north of San Francisco. And that kind of turned into w- what was the first iteration of Sunset Campout that went from like 99 to 2004. And it was much more of a modest type thing. We put a disco ball in the trees. We had our friends that did amazing sound to bring sound, and it was on this music, beautiful property. We fit, we fed everybody, and those campouts. I think our biggest one when we outgrew the venue was like 750 people, and and then we didn't really know we 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 couldn't be there anymore, and we didn't know what to do, so we kind of tabled it until our sound guy um, Pascal from from No Audio said, "Hey, I think I have a location that." could work for Sunset Campout. It's not like Camp and Sons and Willits, but it's it's there's there's a lot of special things about it. So we went to go look at it and we were like, yeah, this place is really interesting and cool. It had a river. We, we want, really wanted a water source because we had a pond to swim in there and a river nearby. And that was like a key thing for us. And at this point we had moved along, our productions had gotten more involved. 
Um, and we had now built this relationship with these amazing lighting crew called Radiant Atmospheres that are just, I mean, these guys, I've never seen a crew get so passionate about lighting and, and find vintage lights and recustomize them and repurpose them and create these lighting creations that are full lighting arrays and you can stand in front of it and nothing's shining in your face. And um, just so much attention to detail and our friend that was just so into sound. And I remember talking to Solar going like, what if we, what if we had this place where we could let our, our, like our friends that we've been with just go crazy, like we, where we could give them enough budget to, to really let, let their wings like unfold. And that became what the sunset Campout is now. Um, but in true sunset fashion, we started somewhat modestly. Um, the first year, we weren't sure if we, how much momentum we could carry over to the next one. It was about 500 people, and it just grew. It just kept every year be a few couple more hundred people. And but our crews, you know, we we told them that, but they brought out production that was you know 10 times what we could ever pay them, and just created this magical atmosphere. And then you combine that with sort of the quaintness and and coolness of of this old mining town of Belden Town. And, and our energy and it just, everything just symbiotically like came together. And now we had, you know, more budget to bring in, we, you know, our eyes are started looking at a lot of European artists that were inspiring us. And, and now we're like, well, can we get them to come over here and play with us? And, and, or even people in Detroit and Chicago that have been big influences on us. And I mean, we've been able to bring out, you know, many of our, of our, you know, people that have influenced us since early, early DJs and record collecting um, to this event. And it's just kind of taken on its own magical life form. Who are some of those artists who have been influencing you from the beginning, who you've managed to get to play at the camp out? Well, we were talking about before we started the interview, Larry Hurd was a huge one. And as we we're saying, I think it was like one of his last gigs before he retired DJing. So it was really special having him. And yeah, we've had Harvey, you know, uh, tracks out there playing amazing set. McWills, two of my favorites. Um, Derek May and Stacy Pullen, and I mean, this year it's it's a primarily, I guess, more European focused. Um, but uh, yeah, the line the lineup is is I mean, super inspiring to us, and that's what is keeping us going. We, I mean, for us to keep going after this much time and to feel super energized about. I mean, putting on a festival, which is takes a, a tremendous amount of work, diligence, and and physicality. This keeps us really inspired to 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 be able to share this with with you know DJs and musicians from all all over the world and our friends to like bring them in and be have them play with us as well. It is a bit tricky though because it is in the middle of summer and most a lot of these DJs are already doing their festival tours and stuff like that. So. Each year I try to start to reach out to the artists, you know, as soon as the campout's over, start thinking about who's gonna be for next year. But it is a challenge sometimes, but it seems to be more and more people are hearing about it or coming out and spreading the word. And so it seems to be more interested in DJs actually wanting to come out for it, making the trip over, so. Oh no, yeah, I mean, someone like, for this year, like Gerd Jansen, who's who's coming over for years, just couldn't couldn't make it happen um, because this the European festival season is, is quite full and you don't really have to travel that far. So, um, so for these, for these people that are quite busy 
to want to make the effort to make that journey to come over and experience it because they've heard it special has been has been awesome. Yeah, and like an affiliate of Gerd's, uh, Dixon obviously like yeah. throws his like lost in a moment parties, which are incredibly intense in terms of like what they're trying to do, like find like magnificent bespoke venues and then bring in an amazing sound. And, you know, sometimes they have issues with their venues as well. But um, I from what I understand, like he came to Sunset and was just kind of blown away by the sound, the production, everything that was going on, right? Yeah, he was. Um, and since then, he's come back and played for us. I think he's done everything with us. He's done a boat party. He's played. We had we had Sunset Island for years where we were doing an outdoor day party on Treasure Island in the middle of the bay. Um, these are the types of things that, you know, we keep trying to try new things to keep us inspired. But, yeah, to, to have someone like him who was you know, you know, kind of the top, uh, DJ at the, you know, or all around Europe and come over and, and hear him say those things was really, really nice. And, and, and was, was great to have him there. And he, he seemed to fit right in, was super chill and, and, and we've kind of developed a nice friendship. And at some point, like, uh, both of you have gotten much busier as DJs, like outside of San Francisco as well. And do you feel like the sunset ident identity is like intertwined with all of that? Like people found out about you from sunset and then began to bring either a sunset boat party or one of you to DJ in other places. I think the camp out had sort of the biggest influence um, internationally and then that's led to them under learning who we are. But yes. Yeah, so and also like doing the Love International for six years, whatever, seven yeah, years. Yeah, Garden now. Festival when it was about Garden Festival. Um, yeah, started the Garden Festival and then turned into Love International. That's kind of like, that's been our main kind of as sunset where we go every year and on an international thing and do it. Other, other than that, we did, um, we just did Bulgaria, which Meadow in the Mountains. Meadows and, in the Mountains. And then mostly from that, we kind of do our individual things traveling in Europe, seems like. But yeah, I mean, that's something that's inspiring for me and for us is to to now bring the sunset energy abroad or and elsewhere and and definitely looking to get get involved in in events that seem to have the same ethos as, as what we're what we're doing. So bringing the boat party to Croatia to Garden Festival 11 International was like such a logical move since we've been doing boat parties nonstop. Um, it was a little bit, I, I guess, ironic to be to do Meadows in the Mountains where sunset, but we did the sunrise stage. Um, but it's still the same thing. It's this outdoor, you know, party in this beautiful place, and and during that transformative time of day. Um, so that was a real honor to be included in that this year. Sort of switching lanes here. Um, you're both producers as well. Like uh, your your first record, I think, came out in the early 2000s or 2000, I believe. And, and Solar, you've had a few things recently with your label Squirrels on Film, as well as uh, a collaboration with Brother Nebula. I've also heard that there will be like a sunset label soon. Like, can you, can you speak a little bit about um, the label and your own productions and how that works with everything? Well, li like the podcast, um, I feel like there's music that we want that I want to share we want to share that can go beyond just you know the bay area or where we're going to an event or festival and 
um, I had launched in those those early 2000s a Sunset label, and um, just did a few releases uh, as I was getting into into production. I was definitely more of a, a kind of a gearhead at the time, and was more fascinated by gear than than the making of the music. Um, that's transitioned now, where I'm much more um, music focused. Um, but it's always been a challenge, you know. Doing events takes a lot of time, and it's hard when you're you love DJing and and then you're doing these events to then also spend hours in the studio. You end up running out of time, and so it's been a trick. It's been a balancing act to do that, and I think now we're we're both find finding a groove of where we can we can do it all, have time for the studio, which is something I'm definitely more passionate about. And Solar with, with his label, with Claws and, 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 you know, working, you know, we've each been building up our own, our own home studios more. So I definitely would want to see that happen more in the future, for sure. Is, is making tracks a priority for you right now, Solar? It is a priority, but with everything going on, it just gets pushed to the back. It's just, I wish I could just be at home making music, but I got to run this festival. I have a pretty busy DJ schedule and um, yeah, so it's tricky. My plan is I was just talking to my agent to take block off some time, hopefully in the winter and just go up in the mountains and snowboard and work on music every day. And so, yeah, hopefully get a lot of stuff done then. But yeah, that's what I'm itching to do and what I want to do more than anything, but it's just making the time is, is what has to happen. <laughs> that's always, it's, that's been the trick. I mean, doing events, I, you just don't realize uh, how much time it can take. I mean, I'll be in front of my computer, you know, I haven't eaten at all and I'm just there just like working on stuff. And next thing you know, the day's over, you're exhausted. It's really hard to like turn on the studio then. And um, so, but what's nice about Sunset, it is, can be seasonal. And um, as time goes on, you know, this year for our anniversary, we really wanted to do a full schedule of events and, and we'll always do events, but maybe, maybe we won't do such a full schedule so that we can work on some of our personal projects, which is something that, that we're, you know, really passionate about right now. I mean, DJing was always our, our first love, um, interacting with the music that we, that we loved and, and, to, and to DJ with it. And that's what spawned Sunset. Um, so we could play music and, and, and this community, you know, grew out of it that took a, just like grabbed hold of us and, and is also part of who we are. And it was really hard to not do that. So that's where my energy just went. Um, but it's a full evolution. So I feel like we've really paved who we are and in our path. I mean, I think I think we've done somewhere between like 160 or 70 free parties um, when we were doing them that way. And so now I would, I would love to see us really kind of blossom as individual artists, um, you know, kind of coming out of this whole sunset sound system sort of community and framework. There's this saying about California, more so LA, because you guys actually have seasons up here, but you know, like, you sit down when you're 16 and you like stand up and you're 60 years old and like I'm, I'm wondering like does uh does 25 years feel like a long time or did it just blow by I mean I think it's both you know sometimes you think of a memory it seems like it was yesterday and sometimes you think of a memory and it feels ages ago you feel like a whole different person you know in so many ways and and we were we were kids you know and now we're old men <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't know if I go quite that far um 
I mean, I the f- crazy thing is I feel great. You know, I, I, I my passion for the music is still really high. I love traveling around. I love meeting people. I love playing in different places. And, you know, maybe after doing it this long, you could tire out from, from doing that. And I just have, uh, for me, just like this, this kind of fire burning that just, just really enjoys it. And, you know, we, t- we take care of ourselves. You know, we don't party as much as we used to, um, but we still like to have a good time. And I think that really gives you longevity and, and, and it's, it is weird that the time warp is trippy. I, I can't believe it's been 25 years. I don't feel like it has, um, but the same, and I'm like, what, am I, am I crazy? Like, how have I been doing this for 25 years? But then at the same time, it just felt so natural and, and it, it still does. And as long as we feel good, or as long as I feel good, and I still have energy and I feel inspired and then it feels like the right path. Yo, 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 yo,